The most successful people in the world make it happen. This podcast is my attempt at documenting the lessons I've learned as I continue my journey to being the best leader, athlete, and coach I can be. This is for anyone who wants more in life and is hungry to go to the next level. Whether you are an athlete, leader, or coach, I will be sharing anything and everything to serve you at the highest level, which also includes bringing on guests who have made it happen and distilling how they reach that level of success. Please share and enjoy. But let's just start from from the beginning to pe- give people a little bit of uh, context here on your journey. And let's let's go from, you know, kind of the start of your Eastern years. Like, A, how do you get to Eastern from California in this little town of Cheney, Redfield? And, you know, like what what was your 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 kind of evolution of falling in love with the game of football? Uh, through those years was it super early on when were you introduced to the game and then how did that kind of bleed into a desire to go play at the next level at the division one level yeah so I mean obviously I I'm, I can be long-winded my wife tells me to land the plane all the time so you know I'll try and <laughs> condense it as much as I can but um, you know with all the kind of questions you just asked there um, you know initially from five years old on like I lived in a baseball uniform. I was going to play pro, pro baseball. Nobody could tell me any different. That was my actual love. Uh, and then I, can't remember what, I think second or third grade, some of my friends were playing football. I decided to go and do it. Um, started off playing on a very bad team. We lost every game. Uh, I was playing like middle linebacker and receiver and making every tackle. We, nobody could throw it to me. So then they moved me to running back. And then we couldn't take a snap from quarterback to hand it to me so they're like you're just gonna take the snap and then run like all right sounds good and so that's kind of how I ended up playing quarterback you know starting in like fourth grade right um but we were terrible I didn't really want to play football anymore I loved baseball um you know there was one season where I wanted to stop playing um my mom kind of was like you signed up for you're gonna finish it and kind of luckily I at that point we moved to the next town over which is called Cottonwood which is just by the name, you can tell it's even smaller than Cheney. And uh, uh, luckily, we had kind of a wildly talented class and a couple little schools that filtered into the high school. And so from like fifth grade through my senior year of high school, we only lost, I think, three total games. And so yeah. as soon as I switched over to that other town where we were good, it was like, oh, football is amazing. And so, uh, you know, that was really where I started to like it. And I always kind of say that football chose me. I didn't choose it. Like, I still love baseball. Um, kind of like my sophomore, junior year of high school, started getting kind of the generic recruiting letters coming in. I thought it was like actual recruitment. And so I'm filling out, you know, questionnaires and sending them in. I got letters from everywhere. It's like, oh, dude, like people seeing me play and right. just have no idea. Cause back then there's no social media. Um, man, we were still VHS tapes. I think DVDs were just starting like my junior and senior year. Um, but there was no way to like, I didn't know I was supposed to be going to camps and being in front of coaches. And mm-hmm. uh, I just kind of was naive and was like, if you're good enough, they're going to find you. And, um, you know, then I played a couple of traveling baseball tournaments against like Bay area teams in California and realized that I was just really good for a small town area. And I'm just kind of like solid for, 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 you know, as far as baseball went, but right. uh, I could kind of see like, oh man, like there's some talented baseball players out there. Like maybe that's not my sport. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, recruiting wise was, uh, you know, I felt like I was getting recruited decently by a few schools like Nevada and Boise state. And a couple of those coaches would come around and kind of like within a week of each other, they all called and said, you know, our number one guy committed. So thanks, but no thanks. And so we were just scrambling. And luckily I had two high school coaches that were, like father figures to me, um, really taught me how to be a leader. You know, they weren't quarterback guys, so I really never had quarterback coaching until college. I mm-hmm. kind of got there on just some natural talent and a little bit of luck, but some of that luck happened because I had these two guys that just sent my films out everywhere. I, I had no idea where they were even sending them. Um, and then it was like December after my senior year. So I had no idea that by that time, pretty much everyone already has scholarship offers out and uh, you know, everyone already has their plan. Uh, I didn't know that by that time, you know, kind of everything's already for the most part kind of set in stone. And 
um, you know, so my, my plan at that point was just kind of go to the junior college and hopefully go from there. Um, yeah. like Aaron Rodgers is, is from my area and I know he went to Butte and then Cal. And so I knew that that was a stepping stone. Um, so that was kind of where I was headed. And then all of a sudden, like late December, uh, my coaches called me and like, Hey, there's a school, Eastern Washington. I'm like, where the heck is Eastern Washington? And they kind of told me that they were always like top five in the country for, um, for offense and, and quarter and, you know, kind of some great quarterback lineage. And, um, I didn't even know what the FCS level was at that point. Like just cause there was like the information back then was not what it is now. And like, right. you know, the FCS coverage is not what it is now. And there was just, you know, I just didn't really know anything about it. And so this was like late December. Uh, they came and watched me play a basketball game. Um, I think it was like January 6th. So probably like a week or two later, I was on a, official visit up there and the next day they offered me a scholarship and the, that day I committed and it was like with it within like two weeks of even hearing of the school I committed to go there just because it just it felt right um once I scheduled that trip Montana did call and schedule a trip for me to to come on a visit there um but I actually called and canceled that as soon as I visited Eastern it was like you know these are the guys that you know kind of first called me and and showed interest and basically told me you're our guy and you're gonna have a chance to start for four years here I think you can hear my hit kids banging around in the background but um yeah so like it, it was just a uh really fast cool thing that happened years later I kind of found out that um the story at least that was told to me was um you know and after being there I kind of saw the process and then you know their war room is filled with just thousands of videos and you know for for them to even like watch mine was a miracle um but i guess you know one of the coaches or one of the um assistants kind of saw my video took it into coach baldwin's office and said you got to see this this guy um at least what was told me was he watched the first few plays and was like that's our guy and they called me and like i said two weeks later it was committed and so it was a kind of a really weird quick thing that happened and really just um you know, and everyone kind of says the, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, it was just the perfect place for me to go. I was so raw. Um, I was, like I said, was, had never had been to a camp. I'd never been coached by anyone to play quarterback other than my dad. And, you know, he instilled a lot of leadership stuff in me. And so did my, my two high school coaches. Like they really went out of their way to like make sure everyone knew I was the leader and put me in that position. And so having that support was amazing. So I felt like I had that side of it. And it helped that I had the confidence because I, you know, like I said, from a small town, I was, you know, good, like one of the top players at four different sports. And so I, I kind of had that confidence too. But, you know, once I got there and got around Coach Baldwin and learned actually how to play quarterback, um, you know, I, I took some huge strides. And it, it did take me a little while because, you know, my my verbiage in high school was like, spread right, green sweep. And then I get to college and we're doing full hand signals and I can still remember a play call. Uh, training camp that I couldn't spit out and you know it was all it was all it was all hand signals you know it was like and you and it was all mirrored so coach would be facing me giving me the signals and he's doing spread right with his hand but I have to kind of flip it in my mind yeah and so he'd be doing spread right uh 30 hot green all white arrow and I could not spit out the play and it was like he did the signal. I called the first part. You know, I think you've there's I feel like there's been videos on Instagram of like uh, Chris Sims and some of these guys and even the professional level, you know, trying to regurgitate the play call. And it was right. like the most embarrassing thing ever. And from that time was like, I need to learn my stuff. I need to be competent. And so there was a lot of growing pains for me, but I also did get to start as a freshman. And so I had to learn some of the stuff the hard way. But you know, luckily I went to a place that gave me that opportunity, was willing to stick with me. And um, like I said, I went through some growing pains with, you know, I was a freshman starting with four freshman receivers and we didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, having some people stick with you through that though. Um, you know, I think the next year I ended up throwing for like 4,000 yards, 38 touchdowns and three picks. And, you know, the only reason that happened was because I got to kind of learn my lessons as a freshman take some coaching, improve an off season. And uh, like I said, I had guys that believed in me. 
Right. And so even just let's go back to that freshman year because yeah. that's crazy, right? Because you had 17 interceptions thrown your freshman year. Which I think was a school record. I'm not sure. I think Bo, <laughs> I think Bo Levi Mitchell might have broken that, but he also like threw like 45 touchdowns that year. So okay, yeah. it's a little more forgiving when you throw, I think, nine touchdowns and 17 picks. Um, you know, that, that it easily could have been, uh, you know, he doesn't have it and we can, you know, move to the next guy. But, you know, showed enough flashes and – um, really, it was just like I said, with four young receivers and at the college level, it's the first time where you know guys could run different routes based off of the coverages, and you know we just weren't on the same page a lot of the time, and so that just took a little bit of of getting on the same page. But yeah, it was a uh, that was a rough year, but also one of the more important years in my life. Yeah, and so you you talk about that the importance of that off season, but like, what's your what's your mindset after having seventeen picks as a freshman, and then you turn it around so much and and what was your process like in, in those, whatever, six, eight months leading up to spring ball season, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, really did a deep dive on kind of why some of those things were happening. Um, I didn't feel like I was that off, but you know, as you know, at that level, it's just, you know, the smallest mistakes just turn into bad plays. And um, you know, I knew that I wasn't that far off and, and it helped that the last game of the season, I think I threw for over 300 and a couple of touchdowns and I rushed for like 80 and a touchdown. And we kind of kicked the crap out of Idaho state um, to end the season. And that was a lot of confidence. I think moving into the next year was like, Oh, okay, this is how it can be. And this is how it should be. And so, you know, we really just uh, worked extremely hard in the off season, you know, me and those receivers really talking through, all the different looks we could see what I'm expecting them to do, where I'm expecting them to be. Um, you know, we just lived on that field. We lived our off season training, you know, every single person showing up and uh, we knew, you know, we're all the same type of guys and Eastern is that type of place where, um, you know, you, you got a bunch of guys with chips on their shoulders and guys that felt overlooked from some of the big schools. And, um, you know, more than anything, you want to just prove, those coaches right for giving you an opportunity and so mm. um you know that's that's what we did we went on a mission to to do that and uh we're able to turn things around you know quickly because we had the talent it was just you know figuring out how to get on the same page and and uh, do it consistently right and so you you talked a little bit about it but you end up having so much success the rest of your career at eastern when you were a striving for those things did you set goals or kind of did you go out and just play like clearly you had a process but what was um you know like talk me through what led to that success and then kind of how you handled that success as it came along yeah I think it was always little goals I remember uh you know Baldwin and I laughed uh you know it was laughing but it's also like talking about it um you know made sure we knew what we fixed it was uh I think even going into like my second or third game as a sophomore yeah, even those first couple of games as a sophomore, I played really well, but I threw, you know, one or two picks kind of to start the year. And, you know, we would joke that, man, we haven't played together, played a game together yet where I haven't thrown an interception in a game. And it was kind of like an ongoing kind of joke, but also like, how do we not do that? And, um, you know, really just having the small goal of I'm not going to throw an interception in this game. And that was like the start of it. And I think, I think I, you know, I'd have to go back and look, but I think I started off with like one pick in game one, three in game two against Weber State, and then I didn't throw another one for like nine games. And it was like 300 and something attempts without one. And really it was just kind of setting that one goal of I'm done turning the ball over. Like we're losing games because of it. Whether, you know, whether I played a great game and just had one turnover or whatever it was, it was just like, I knew that the turnover ratio was one of the biggest things in winning and losing football games. And mm -hmm. so my mind was, you know, maybe I don't take one chance in a game that I know could be a pick and like, let's just see how this game goes. And all of a sudden we start rattling off wins and, um, you know, I'm playing more consistently and all of a sudden he kind of look up and it's like, Hey man, I haven't thrown a pick in six, seven games. And, you know, and that, then it's like, how long can I keep this going? And, um, you know, the rest of my career did a really good job with that. And then, you know, getting to the professional level, I had another coach that harped even more on that. And, um, you know, had a couple long streaks at the pro level with that too, where I just knew that, 
know, taking care of the footballs, what, what wins games. And, uh, you know, so really it was just kind of that first goal of how do I go this one game without throwing a pick and, you know, just start compounding those things. And so, you know, I always had big goals in, in my mind of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to get to. But I also feel like I was able to set those big goals. I knew what they were, but I also knew that it was kind of those little goals that were going to help get me there. Yeah. And so it was just little stuff too, like I said, with that off season training and, um, you know, being on the same page and putting in the work with, with my teammates and, you know, all of us staying around for the summer and being there kind of all day and putting together our own seven on seven and stuff. I mean, we would uh, schedule with Washington state and Idaho, you know, Idaho at the time was FBS. And so we would go up to Pullman and, and put together just players only, no coaches wow. even knew about it or were involved. And so it was just, how can we, you know, go out and practice this stuff to make sure we're better the next year. Right. So, you know, you start to become the dominant force, you know, as a quarterback in the conference, what was your mindset? No, no filter. What was your mindset going into every game? Were you like killer mentality or was it like, did you still kind of have not doubts, but did you still kind of question yourself? What was that like, especially as you, you know, like I, I assume right in, in the, in the peak of your days, everyone's coming to, to watch one six, let it fly. Right. So what, what was your mindset going into the games? You know, honestly, um, I was all, I've always been nervous for every game. Um, I've always, I always said, you know, even I played 12 years professionally and, you know, I always told my, I've always told my wife, like the one thing I'm not going to miss when I'm done is how I feel in the morning on game days. Like that just never leaves you. And so no matter what, even when I was throwing for, you know, there was a stretch in college where I was throwing for, you know, for sure. I just knew I was going out and I was going to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Like that was just what was going to happen. And I already knew that, but also I still had, I still had the nerves and I still had the, um, I don't know, I guess it's like a back of your mind fear of like letting your teammates down and letting your, you know, family down and whatever, like nobody else feels that way. Nobody's going to feel like you let them down really, but you just, you don't want to let them down. And so there's always that in the back of the mind. So I've always had just battling conversations in, in my head. I mean, I think everyone probably does where, you know, the bad kind of the bad voice starts creeping up. It's like, well, what if you throw four picks today? And my other voice is like, shut the hell up. You're not throwing any picks today. And so it was just like an always a, a mental battle. And um, one thing I was, I think, really good at was as soon as I got onto the field, those things went away and I was able to really slow things down in my mind. I felt like I was always present. Um, nice. Wow. I felt like I, 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 I did always perform the best and the biggest moments. And, mm. um, you know, that's something I'm, I'm proud of. And I know that that comes from preparation. I knew that going into every game, I watched as much film as humanly possible. I went through every scenario in my head. I feel like I already mentally played the game. I know wow. how it's going to go. And so, uh, you know, when you run into some bad things that happen or, um, you know, you find yourself with, the ball with two minutes left you need a touchdown it's like all right, i already knew i was going to be here let's go do it and so it was just like the mental preparation of kind of putting yourself in those positions so that when you got out there it wasn't like oh man what am i doing it's like i know what i'm doing i mm. prepared for this all week mm -hmm. so just kind of to, to to wrap up this this part we're really focusing on those eastern years like what were some of your biggest lessons learned and then like what advice would you have for athletes entering into that collegiate level yeah i mean i think that you just have to understand that um you know my biggest eye-opening thing for me was i was the best in my area you know and i was you know kind of unstoppable at the high school level or whatever and you get there to camp the first time and like everyone was that way like everyone was the best at their school everyone was the best in their conference you know it's a high school ultimate all-star team and so um you know if you want to separate yourself from those guys it's just work ethic and it's doing things the right way it's you know having your grades right it's going to class when you know you need to have everything signed by your teachers and show your coaches that you're doing it it's showing up to all the workouts it's um you know i think just recognizing that if you want to succeed at that level it's upping what you're doing you know on and off the field mm. and just really enjoying it too. I mean, um, you know, my years at Eastern were 
some of the best of my life. Um, it goes by in a blink of an eye and it's, uh, it's kind of the last time too, that, um, you know, the game is super pure where everyone's playing for, you know, the school they're playing for each other. Um, there's no kind of ulterior things. Obviously there's some scholarship money. Now there's some NIL stuff that, you know, might change the game a little bit for some schools, but overall it's kind of the last time where, the game is extremely pure. You're just out there with your guys, man. And um, the guys that you live with in the dorms or your, or your roommates or whatever it is. And, you know, some of that stuff kind of gets tainted at the professional level. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a lot of that still. And, and, but there is also a lot of, um, you know, self-serving stuff or, you know, if you throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns, you lose a game. It's, it's a little easier at the pro level. It's like, man, I, I killed it tonight. Like, you know, my job is safe, you know, it sucks that we lost, but you kind of, it's just a little bit different feeling. Whereas in college, it was like, man, all these students came out here to support us and now they have to go back bummed, you know, for right. the rest of the week or whatever. And so it's just a little bit different, but yeah. uh, really just embracing what, you know, what college is and what you're playing for. Um, like I said, you know, I do talk to some of my professional buddies still, but I go on, you see the hat right here, the Eagle open. Um, no, I got, we got 16 former teammates that go on a golf trip every year around Washington and stay in a big Airbnb house together and just talk about our Eastern days. Um, went down with a bunch, a big group of guys to you guys, this Fresno game this year. So we had guys from that played in the eighties, the nineties, two thousands, 2010s, all, uh, staying in the hotel together. And we did golf and went to the game together. And, uh, college is kind of where you, get some of those those bonds that last forever and Hmm. uh, especially at a place like you know eastern washington cheney where that's what there is to do man like you you hang out with your guys and um really just you know at the collegiate level it's you know put in that work uh up your game no matter what it is whether it's eating better working out a different way or um putting in extra hours in the film talking to someone to help you learn how to watch film like i used to just crushed film but i didn't know what i was watching or why like what to take from it you know it, right. it wasn't until kind of my junior or senior year when i learned how to watch film productively and mm-hmm. um you know so just asking learning from veterans around you and um really taking it all in man and like it's great to have aspirations to play at the next level and you you know you do have to have those goals and um your mindset on that but also you know don't allow that to take away from uh, the moments that you have at the college level because because they're special right yeah very very special that's really cool I didn't even know that you guys traveled like that those decades so it'd be cool for us to join you guys here it's crazy that it, it flies by so fast um talk a little bit about your experience in the NFL and, and your your run there before you go to the CFL because I've never really asked you about this or heard anyone else talk about that experience for you and like what that was like, right. You were with Tony Romo right around those days, right. With the Cowboys. Yeah. yeah it was crazy. Um, again, kind of the same process of when I was going to college, like I, it just felt like it was, a just a recycling of, of kind of what I went through with recruiting where, you know, I threw for like 13,000 yards in college and I was still didn't get a combine invite. I went to the East West shrine game and I thought outperformed everyone there. They were all going to the combine and, you know, we could, my agent and I tried as hard as we could for even me to go and be, because uh, they do have a couple extra quarterbacks come that throw like routes to the DBs. And, yeah. you know, at least you're there and you can talk to people, you know, because obviously playing at Eastern, it's not like you're on a national stage. Um, at least, you know, back then our games weren't televised. Like I can watch all your guys' games on ESPN Plus on Hulu and uh, it's super easy. Back then it wasn't, wasn't wow, that easy. So crazy. Yeah. And, um, you know, so for me, to, if I could have got the opportunity to just go and have these people actually meet me and talk to me, mm. and so, aside from just knowing that someone at, you know, Eastern Washington threw for a bunch of yards, it's like, you know, it would have been nice to be able to get the opportunity. So I didn't get that somehow, you know, just because after my performance at the East West Shrine uh, game and, and all week there, uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper had me as like their sixth best quarterback going into the draft. Uh, and then right off the bat, it was like Colt McCoy, Bradford, Tebow, Clawson all got taken. And so for six rounds, I had to sit there with my name on the board as the best next best available quarterback. And man, just rounds went by. 
um, you know, there was three teams that, you know, from pre-draft visits and conversations I thought were going to take me ended up not taking me. Then kind of sixth, seventh round, teams start calling you, which is actually super messed up because you start getting phone calls when the draft's going on. It's like, dude, this is it. And, you know, your kind of heart stops and it's just like, hey, we got one more pick left. We might take you. If not, we want you to sign as a priority free agent. And it's like, dude, don't call me if, unless you're drafting me. And, um, yeah, and then a couple of teams I thought that were going to draft me, they actually ended up taking a couple of different quarterbacks. Um, their head scouts still called me and wanted me to come there. Yeah. Uh, but kind of out of the blue, Jason Garrett called me and, you know, so these other teams I'm talking to head scouts and then Cowboys are calling, you know, Jason Garrett's calling me like, Hey man, we only had six picks this year. We knew we were going to take a quarterback. We thought you were going to get drafted. So like for us to have a shot at you is insane. And it's like, yeah, dude, sign me up. I'm going to play for America's team. You know what I mean? Wow. Like it was crazy. It was a pretty like surreal moment, um, you know, to get that opportunity. And then, uh, it was a good, it was a good great experience for me especially because John Kitna played at Central Washington Baldwin was there when Kitna was there and right. so there was that tie and so Baldwin was able to basically you know let Kitna know like my guy's coming down there can you take care of him That's and really so Kitna cool. Kitna sat next to me in every meeting um you know we went golfing together a ton uh you know he he was basically my coach uh you know when you're a rookie quarterback coaches aren't paying a ton of attention to you in the right. meeting rooms and stuff so he was kind of just sitting there you know, giving me, um, you know, this is how you read this play and, you know, we're kind of whispering in the back and, um, you know, so it was pretty awesome to, to have that. Uh, yeah. To be in a round, I mean, Romo is probably the smartest football player I've ever been around, like, like actually a genius and sometimes probably to his detriment. And, um, but, you know, just learning from him was, was incredible. Um, you know, that one, one quick sto story is like one of my favorite ones is, uh, we finally had like one night off in training camp and Kenton was like, Hey, you know, some of us are going to dinner. You want to go And man? I was like, you know, it's, it's 5.00 AM to midnight basically every day. And it was our first night off. Like, I just want to go sleep for like eight hours. And it's like, all right, dude, like Kitna's asking me to go to dinner. I got to go. So I went to dinner and it was basically Kitna, Romo, Witten, Roy Williams, Marion Barber. It's like the 10 like superstars on the team and me. And I was like, dude, like, it was like, like, definitely like uh, imposter syndrome like what the heck am i doing here and then and then all of a sudden halfway through i'm like dude this is one of those rookie things like i hear about you know they're gonna stick me with the bill and so romo tells me that i'm gonna be paying for the bill and you know my, wow. my signing bonus there was like 15 grand and basically five of it went to like paying off a student credit card that i had from playing the rest of it went to my wife's uh, engagement rings. We had just gotten engaged and married uh, just before then. Wow. And, and so like, I think I had like maybe a thousand dollars in my account and this bill is going to be way more than that. And I don't have a credit card with more than like a $3,000 limit. And so I'm like texting my wife, like, I don't know if I like actually have the means to like just pay for this and deal with it later. And I'm like sweating, dude. And so it was probably like half an hour of us just sitting there. Everyone starts getting up and I'm like, like I'm gonna have to go wash the dishes or something. I don't know what's gonna happen. And then as as like everyone's almost gone, Romo turns around. He's like, "I'm just messing with you, dude," and just starts flipping over hundreds. Throws them on the table. And we leave, and they're just all laughing at me and stuff. But it was like incredible dinner, but also like I was like, "Dude, I don't know what I'm gonna do right here." And so it was a it was a cool experience. Man, they were like super cool guys. Um, uh, yeah, awesome experience there. I, I played well in the preseason games that I got to play in. Unfortunately, we had bunch of injuries to other positions um you know you kind of first to go uh as a the fourth rookie quarterback when they need to bring in bodies for camp um you know it was i mean jason garrett was very upset um you know in our, in our meeting you know, he felt like i had earned a, a chance to stay there and was just kind of um victim of circumstance and you know you see it a lot of the time with guys where injuries happen at your position and then you get that opportunity um, to play which you know kind of opposite happened for me and um, you know obviously would have been nice but um, you know just it just didn't pan out I uh, went and did some workouts for three or four teams didn't get signed had an opportunity to go to Canada I knew a little bit about it with uh, you know obviously a, a friend of the podcast Greg Peach was a, a year already a year in up there and that's right th so I knew a little bit about what it was and it just happened to be his team that had my rights uh, in Edmonton and uh, you know, I had a chance to go play up there. 
ended up being the greatest thing that could have happened for me. And you know, obviously I would have loved to have a 12 year career in the NFL, but um, you know, my opportunity and the people that believed in me happened to be in Canada and had an amazing experience up there. Yeah. Really cool. So Peach, funny you mentioned that he, he said, ask Matt about uh, the hit in 2012 and about how he, he said he wasn't sure if you guys would be friends again. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it does like I mean, with only nine teams, it is hard to get your opportunity to be like a full-time starter up there. Like it, I mean, a lot of the starters end up being starters for you know eight to 10 years and it's hard to kind of get your break. And so right. for two or three years, you know, I was just kind of in a backup role, um, kind of just having to earn my spot every year grinding. And yeah, in 2012, uh, a couple of quarterbacks in front of me weren't, weren't playing great. I think one of them might've gotten hurt and it was basically like a fourth quarter of a game. Um, just threw me out there to see what I could do. It was actually uh, I remember first play I actually threw a completion and peach came screaming by and you know, the ball had already left my hand. And he kind of gave me a little butt pat and he's like, Hey, you're in like, you know, like just Greg laughing and like, yeah, man, like, like we're like laughing out there, like, you know, having a great time. And, I could just see his intensity completely pick up and and it actually ended up driving right down the field. I threw a touchdown. Yeah. I called back for holding the next play scrambled around through another touchdown, got called back because we high load Greg actually. So someone like one of the linemen was blocked him up top and the guard cut him. And so, it, so I threw back to back touchdowns. I got called back. And so the next play is like second and 25 and I take off in a scramble I actually ran for like 20 yards and I was trying to make a statement for myself and my teammates. You know, I'm just like willing to lay it on the line and linebacker was just kind of standing flat footed. So I'm going to go right through him. And so I actually did, I actually did hit him pretty hard and we were falling forward. And then peach came screaming from the side and just ear hold me like as we were going to the ground and it's kind of a bad scene. Like I, I played football for 27 years and this was probably, was really my only like actual concussion. And yeah, I was laying on the ground and O lineman tried to pick me up and I just went down like right down into the ground like a boxer in the twelfth round. And um, yeah, I was definitely not feeling good after the game. We went to dinner. He was super quiet at dinner. I I could tell he felt bad. Um, and then we were catching a plane back from Toronto. Um, and he drove me to I think my airport hotel actually, and it was dropping me off and he was like, Hey man, thanks for being like so cool about you know, what happened tonight and, you know, not kind of, you know, make me feel worse about it. And I'm like, Oh, you mean saying something like I finally got a chance to play my best friend just gave me a concussion and knocked me out. And he's just like, yeah, like saying something like that. <laughs> and so, and you know, for me, it was just like, dude, we were just playing super hard. And I knew, you know, our competitive juices flare up, especially when we play against each other. I mean, we played pickup basketball each other against each other for, six hours at a time in that upstairs gym <laughs> at Eastern Washington, just the two of us. And I mean, we would go at each other. And so, you know, we're just two competitors, man. And um, I, I held nothing against them and, you know, still my best friend to this day. And so, uh, yeah, that's something that you know, he always loves that, um, you know, I didn't give him a super hard time about that. He thought my wife was going to hate him and they're best friends. And so, uh yeah, I know, I just know that he was kind of walking on eggshells that whole dinner and the whole drive to the airport. Wow, that is a really cool story. I appreciate you yeah. sharing that. Wow, that that's such a tough situation, man. Jeez. Yeah, but I can already see him. Like I can just see him being like, <laughs> like feeling so bad. Especially, um, I mean, it was cool too. I mean, we were roommates for four years at Eastern, and then we roomed together for two years in Edmonton, and then. His last year in Winnipeg, I actually got traded to Winnipeg. So we got to be teammates in Winnipeg together also. So wow. like it's super rare that, I mean, I got to play seven years of football with my best friend. Like it's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. So throughout your career, you know, obviously like everyone else and like you're saying the concussion, that's just one form of an injury. So you had that the dislocation of your ankle, that was a big one. Right. And then you had some other ones, but like what? how did you mentally handle those injuries? And then specifically, like what was your rehab process like with that ankle? Cause that was a pretty serious one, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, we were playing in the blue Jay stadium. Um, the turf was not the greatest and, um, it was unfortunate kind of 
D lineman grabbed onto my front pad, deadweighted himself. I couldn't get my cleat out of the ground. And he just kind of landed on the side of my foot. My yeah, toes were t- facing backwards. Doctors had to come out and fully twist it back into place on the field. Uh, went to the Toronto hospital because they had basically reset my leg in order for me to fly back with the team. And I was in a playoff game where, you know, I was, it was my first chance to really, uh, that was actually the 2012 year um, where I, I was t- like finally kind of taken over a team. Right. And um I was actually able to recover from that in about four months and I was ready to go for the next training camp. Um, that, I mean, it was a brutal rehab, but you know, that one, I, t- I ended up tearing my ACL twice. I tore my rotator cuff and my throwing shoulder. Um, you know, but some of this, it sounds bad and, you know, but kind of looking back, I mean, I played 12 professional years. I started like 47 straight games at Eastern played all of high school and pop Warner. It's like, you know, to really only have kind of four injuries in my entire life in like 27 years like pretty good and um you know luckily my wife is kind of a no bs type person and my biggest supporter my you know she'll tell me when i'm sucking she'll tell me when i'm you know whining and crying too much but she'll also you know punch someone in the face if they say something bad about me that type of person and um so she never let me feel sorry for myself um and then it was just man like just tunnel vision honestly like I, I feel like I had it on what I wanted to do. Like I knew I was going to go to college to play sports. I thought it was baseball ended up being football. Uh, I thought I was going to be a pro baseball player, but once it switched to football, it was tunnel vision on, okay, I'm gonna play pro football then. Right. And, um, you know, just kind of when things come your way, having the ability to shift and, you know, still have the same goal, but maybe it's slightly changed because of your circumstance. But um, I never let, any of those things affect what I was trying to do. And I think, you know, four of my injuries, all four of those at the pro level, you know, all I heard was career enders and not going to be the same and, you know, whatever. And, you know, my mind was, you know, they, people throw out percentage of percentage of people that come back from a couple of these injuries. And it's like, yeah, but those people aren't me. Like, Mm. I don't, like, I don't, and same thing with, you know, I always heard the stat, like 1% of high school athletes playing college and 1% of college athletes play professionally. It's like, all right, well, the 99% aren't me. Like that was just always my mindset with everything. And, you know, whether that's, um, you know, just being ignorant or stupid or whatever, like, I don't know what it is, but I just refuse to believe that stuff. And, you know, for me, it was like, what do I need to get better? Okay. I need to go swim for an hour and a half in the pool, I'm going to get really good at swimming. Like mm. whatever it was, um, you know, I spent hours and hours and hours on rehab stuff. And, you know, it, it's crazy too, where the players get it, but not, fans don't really understand, you know, they see people get hurt and then a period of time goes by and then they see them back on the field, but they don't understand what it takes to get back to that point. And so, but for me is like, my family knows like they, like they had to make sacrifices for me to, to do that stuff. My wife had to, you know, we always joke, like, you know, the old, uh, had to walk, you know, our parents had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to school or whatever. Like she literally did that. Like we had to stay in Canada after I dislocated my ankle. Um, so I could rehab cause it happened in the playoffs. So it was just like, we needed to just stay here because usually we'd kind of go back and forth between the yeah. States and Canada and, so we stayed in Edmonton where it gets to, you know, minus 30 with the wind chill. And she was literally like walking in the snow to Starbucks to work while I'm like rehabbing. Like, like, you know, she was just kind of a gangster with uh, making sure I could do whatever I had to do to, to kind of keep going. And um, I mean, the support system was, was huge. And, you know, we had, I had great trainers at all the places that I played that, um, you know, just, knew that I had the work ethic to come back from all these things. And, um, you know, then it was just on me to, to put in that time, put in that work and, uh, find kind of inventive ways to, you know, bring the process along quicker, which for me, it was just always, Oh, you, so you want me to do four hours of this stuff today? Like I'm going to do seven, I'm going to do eight. And it was just, that's what I did. And so, you know, it was my job to be ready to go. And so I was able to put in those hours, but, um, yeah, for me, it just always boiled down to tunnel vision. This isn't going to conquer me. Um, and then as soon as I had started having kids, the mindset even changed more to, you know, if they end up in a situation like that, 
I want to be able to say, this is what happened to me. This is how I overcame it. Not, yeah, I, you know, I tore my ACL and I decided, you know, that was enough. Like, like, how can I explain that to my kid if some, if she, you know, if they get hurt playing sports or whatever, you know, whatever happens to them in life, right. um, you know, and not be the example of, yeah, man, I've been there. I've overcome this too. Like, this is, you know, how you do it. Um, you know, I, so having kids really just added an extra layer to it where I want to be able to tell them that I had the worst things happen to me and I came back from them. Yes. Wow. Really, really cool. You kind of, and this is a common theme with what you've been talking about, but you kind of alluded to, you know, proving people wrong. And some of the other sources that I've talked to in preparing for this interview said that, uh, you know, you have a, a little thing where you're always kind of moving with the chip on your shoulder. Talk to me a little bit about that and why, why you have that chip on your shoulder. Yeah. I've always tried to shift that mindset. Like I've, that is a big part of it. Like I, I, like I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to prove people wrong, but I started trying to think more just, I'm, I'm kind of a half glass full type of guy. And <laughs> I tried to think more of, I'm actually, what I'm actually doing is proving people right. And I'm proving my family right for, you know, my wife moving all over freaking Canada and North America with me. I'm proving coaches right for giving me opportunities, scouts that stuck their neck out for me. Uh, I had some coaches that, you know, I'd play one or two rough games and, you know, one of them was, you know, my coach in Winnipeg, man. I had like a three game stretch. It was probably the worst three game stretch of my entire football life. And you know, I'm going to breakfast in the morning and, you know, morning on, on game day, like, you know, headlines is, is a time to move on from nickels or whatever. And, wow. um, you know, after the game, my coach came over, um, literally brought a six pack of beer. We sat down, we watched like, I think it was like a college game or something on, we watched the game. We didn't say one word about the game that just happened where I didn't play great. And like, it was just like, we had a couple of beers and then he went home. was like, he's like, you ready to work tomorrow? I'll see you there. And, it was, you know, it was him saying like, you're my guy. Don't worry about all this stuff. And I went like the next four games ended up being CFL player of the month and, you know, just went on an absolute terror. And it was just like, um, you know, I tried to shift that mindset to I'm proving this guy right. Like he's putting his family's life, you know, what they do, like where they live on the line by mm -hmm. sticking with me. I need to go prove him right. I'm not going to prove, you know, the. 50,000 people in the stands that want me gone wrong. I'm, you know, the people that are, have their trust in me, I'm proving those people right. And so I really try to have that mindset switch as much as possible. But of course, you know, part of it was, you know, you know, my wife would always send me a text before every game and it always ended it with basically, you know, F everybody us against the world type of thing. And, um, you know, really I've always had that mentality. I think it comes to from just being small town, kind of blue collar place, um, you know, getting recruited, going to an FCS school. I felt like I should have been drafted and it was decent, you know, a decently high pick and given that opportunity with what I did and um, at the college level and how I felt like I stacked up against some of these other guys um, and that didn't happen. Um, you know, end up in Canada, which is basically FCS for professional football. And so it was just like, it just always felt like you were, you know, kind of keep getting overlooked, you know, to an extent. And it's not necessarily that case because, I mean, Canada is an incredible place to play. Um, you know, they love their football. Like, I had an amazing time up there. And then, you know, luckily quarterbacks get paid pretty well. And so, you know, I had a, I had a great career. And so there's it's nothing to take anything away from from Eastern or from the CFL because those places made me and gave me incredible opportunities that changed my life. But also I felt like, you know, I, I was always constantly having to prove that I belong there. And mm. you know, I will say that, you know, even, even in the CFL, the reason my career lasted so long was I probably had four or five moments in those 12 years where, you know, especially preseason games um, and then a couple of regular season games, like the one I was just talking about after my coach visited me where I kind of knew like, one more of these bad games like there's like he's gonna have no choice but to make a change type of thing right. and it, it was just like i don't know there'd be multiple preseason games where i knew walking onto the field like if i don't go lead a touchdown drive right now my career is over 
And I would, every single time I went out there, led that touchdown drive. And it was just like, um, I think that chip on the shoulder mentality just comes from being in that situation so much where it's like, here we go again, been here before. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely constantly having to walk that line of proving people wrong, but also trying to prove some people right. Right. So I already said, you know, there was, there was one question that Greg really wanted me to ask you. Well, there's one more here and I promised I'd ask it for him. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nothing too crazy, but it basically was worded like this. Who is your favorite teammate and why is it Greg peach? But I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to change it a little bit. I do want to hear that, but I also kind of want to hear you played with some amazing players, you know, like ones that stick out to me is like Weston Dressler, right? Like that guy was a legend for me growing up. He had the all dressed chips or whatever his own chips, when he was oh, yeah. rough riders and stuff. But just talk to me a little bit about your relationship with Greg. You already talked a little bit about it and, and how you pushed each other to greatness and all that. But just talk a little bit about some of the other best teammates, leaders that you were around that stick out to you that really you learned a lot from or had incredible experiences with. Yeah, man, it would be, I mean, it's so hard to just think on the spot of them. Uh, you know, there there was just so many, but, you know, obviously with Greg, we've kind of already talked about a bunch of stuff, but the biggest thing about him was like, he didn't come to Eastern on a full ride and he was thrust out there as a true freshman, drastically undersized to be playing D end at the FCS level and just still performing. And, you know, he had that same kind of you know that first off season in college was similar to like my first off season in college where even though I didn't play that year I actually redshirted he did play you know kind of that off season I was working with him and I knew what he was trying to do and so I'm like okay I'm I'm trying to level up with them but then the next year once I got a full season under my belt you know I think both of us just started pushing each other you know we knew what we could get to. We knew where we wanted to be and we weren't there yet. And so, you know, I think just that, that thing where, you know, I felt like I was the captain of the offense, he was the captain of the defense. So it makes us leaders of the team. And so when we're pushing each other to that kind of maximum level, everyone's going to follow suit. And, you know, that's why, you know, we ended up having the careers we had at Eastern was, I think, you know, kind of meet some of the right people at the right time. And, um, you know, I didn't go to college knowing I was going to meet Greg Peach and you know the effect he was going to have on my life and continues to have to this day. And so, um, you know, he's 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 number one is you know the best team I've ever had. Uh, and like I said, I got to play with him at a couple of different levels, which is pretty rare. Um, I used to just mentioned Weston immediately would have been kind of next on my list. Um, I always loved watching him play when I played against him. And then when I got to play with him, it was like, holy cow. Like I've never played with someone that's like fully on the same page as me all the time. And one of the rare receivers where it was like, everyone else has an option to run a curl or a dig here. Weston can run a curl, a dig, a go or a corner. Like just because we trusted him so much, where it was like, he knew what the coverage was and we would sit next to the plane, you know, going to our away games. And we would go through every single call on the game sheet and I would say against, you know, their top four coverages, this is where I'm going to want you on this, you know, this coverage, this coverage, this coverage, this coverage. So we basically talked about every play, what route he was going to run against their four top coverages. So going into the game and like we played together for whatever, three or four years and like never once did he run a route where I was like, oh, I thought he was going to run a seam or and he ran a dig or whatever. It was just like he saw the game the same way as me wow. and he's just a ultimate leader i mean you know jokester when jokes were needed dead serious when when that was needed um he just walked that perfect line um you know next one um you know i'll, I'll kind of end with this one just because um you know i could i could talk about a, a ton of guys man like i was around so many great ones but one i learned how i learned to be a professional his name is carrie joseph um he played like four years in the NFL as a running back and safety and special teamer. And then he came up to the CFL and as a hall of fame quarterback that threw for like 40,000 yards and like just an incredible athlete, incredible human. But Vera, I, I thought that I was the first one in everywhere I've ever gone. And I put in more work than anyone. And I remember showing up to the building at, you know, five thirty little before six and this guy's like done running sprints and had already watched an hour of film 
I'm walking in the door like, like, Carrie, what freaking time do you get here, dude? He's just like, 5 a.m. every day. And I'm like, all right, I need to be here at 5 a.m. then. And then he really taught me how to, like, watch film at the professional level. You know, his process of, you know, his daily structure, his weekly structure, and ramping up to game day. And so, like, he really taught me how to be a professional quarterback in terms of how to prepare, um, how to watch film. Uh, we talked game scenarios all the time and really became a – a football junkie in terms of like I had to watch every CFL game because I wanted to see what clock mistakes other quarterbacks would make and kind of the game management part that doesn't show up on paper is like, you know, I'd watch somebody, you know, 30 seconds left and they're trying to get an audible out and it runs down to 15. It's just like, that's not going to be me. Like I just, I wanted to learn from other people's mistakes and he kind of taught me, you know, those types of things, you know, what needs to happen in every scenario. And, um, you know, so he, in terms of like, you know, we'll still text, you know, once a year, maybe just like, how you doing? So it's not like I'm like talk to him every day, but in terms of like impact on me, um, my professional career wouldn't have been what it, what it was if I hadn't have been around him. Wow. That's really cool to hear. I th- I think it's so cool too, because sometimes, it is so easy to get into that box of being around the same people every single day. And then it just takes one person to disrupt the, your whole worldview. Right. Where it's like, dang, like my identity was the hardest worker. I'm not like, I got to get in there earlier. Cause even yep. for me, it's like um, every place that I go for the most part, I'm the hardest worker. And like, if that happened and I even was talking to one of my old receiver coaches and he was talking about one of his guys and how he is um, in the meeting room. And he was like, yeah, he's probably one of the best I've been around. And that just even was like, dang, like if I was in the meeting room with him, it'd be like a competition in the meeting room who would be, sure. style, right. So it's just so cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, geez, you got, you got to start your own podcast and just share some yeah. of these stories, just straight gems. Um, I asked you, what would be your advice to someone that was about to enter, you know, collegiate football, division one, college football, what would your advice be to someone that's about to enter pro football? I mean, things definitely change. Um, you know, I, I thought I was a little naive again going into it where I thought, you know, this is the pro level, the best player is going to play or the best player is going to get that spot. And that's not, you know, my experience is that's not always the case. Like there are outside forces, um, you know, especially if you're a, you know, a priority free agent guy, you know, there's somebody that definitely, kind of had to stand up for you in a player personnel meeting and said, this guy needs to be here. But if you're borderline, is that person going to be willing to stand on the table for their job and say, this is our guy. And, you know, I just, I felt like I didn't have that in Dallas. I know I kind of know the scout that I think really liked me, but I don't like that guy would have had to have basically put his job on the line to say somebody else needs to go. And, you know, that's not always going to be the case. And so, um, my advice is like so much happens. It's out of your control that all you can do is show them that you're putting in the work. Like your cards read, like when you're in the building, your iPads rack up time. Like they can see who's watching film. Um, They know who's prepared. Can you, can someone get injured at X and you're a Z and they say, Hey, Dolan, you're in at X. Like, are you going to go in and know what you're doing? Like you better, like if you want to, you know what I mean? So like, it's basically like you have to be 10 times more prepared for your moment than a guy that's drafted in the second round. He's going to get every chance in the world. You're going to get one chance. Like that's just the, the reality of it. And so it's what can I do to make sure that when I get that one chance, they can't take me out or they can't cut me because I did X, Y, and Z. And so that was my mindset going in there. And honestly, I wish I could do it again. Like, I feel like if I would have had like a run through and then like a magic genie, just like started that process over. It's like, I think, I think what I did a little wrong was I went in and I was a kind of, yes, sir. Um, you know, all the time I was a, uh, you know, didn't really want to speak up a ton in like meetings. Cause it's like, I got freaking Jason Garrett, Romo and kitten over here. Like who am I to be like given my input. And so I wish 
I wish I would have been a little more assertive with some of that stuff because I do feel like I had great coaching. I do feel like I had a great knowledge of the game and I just don't know that I put myself in the best position by being a little more assertive and just, um, you know, kind of showing what I could really do or what my knowledge really was. And so, you know, if I had it in a redo, I would, I would put myself out there a little more and I would, uh, you know, it's a fine line. Like, you know, you don't want to be the person that's talking. I mean, I've, we had rookie quarterbacks come to the CFL meeting rooms and they would ask questions that they knew the answers to, you know, to, to just kind of like show that they knew, I, you know, I think, you know, any football player knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. And like, I don't remember his name. We called him Chatty McGee. Like we just, it's just like, I don't know. Like you just don't, you don't want to be that guy either. So it's a fine right. line of like, you want to show them that you're knowledgeable and, you know, speak up when there's moments too, but you also don't want to, you know, tip that scale and be annoying to where like, they don't even want to be around you type yeah. of thing. And so, um, you, you know, like I said, for me is just, you got to be 10 times more prepared than the guys that were drafted. They're going to get every opportunity. They're going to be allowed to go make mistakes. And, you know, when you're a borderline guy, like they need to be able to say, dude, every time we've called on him, he knows what he's doing. He knows all these positions. We can dress him as our sixth receiver. And if there's an injury, he can fit in anywhere, that kind of thing. So it's just making sure that you're, like I said, 10 X prepared from the next guy. Right. Yeah. Wow. And really, understanding really cool. that things are going to happen out of your control and it's not going to seem right. Logically, it doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. even at the professional level, like in the CFL, there were so many times man, where it was just like, I don't like, I remember my, my first preseason, I, you know, we had a backup quarterback that did not form, perform very well in the preseason I threw for like 140 yards and a touchdown in a game where there was like 60 mile an hour winds in Saskatchewan. Like you can, I couldn't even throw the ball. Like I would launch it as far as I could and it's traveling 30 yards and somehow, you know, had a great showing. I remember leading the drive, throwing a touchdown and my thought jogging off the field was like, dude, like I made the team, like I'm, I'm going to be the backup. And the next day I had no reps at practice they put me on IR for the whole year because back then you could kind of put like a third or fourth quarterback on IR all year. You can still practice. You're getting your full salary, but you're like, you're not dressing for games and you're not traveling with the team. Yeah. And I had zero explanation. Nobody ever came and talked to me. It was just like, we got the rep sheet for the day for, for practice. And I had no reps. And wow. it was just like, there was just like, and that was like one of probably like five instances where like, logically it was like this makes no sense and so like i quickly learned like control what you can control man just go out and ball when you get the opportunity and um you know things will work out for you in the end and you know that is what happened for me it was four or five years of of that kind of stuff and then i got an opportunity to take over a team and um you know kind of took over a team changed the whole franchise around yeah yeah wow that is tough because i've had little little instances of that already and i think yep. it's good to hear that from you and for anyone else that's listening especially some of the guys here that'll listen to this like it is no joke and and like you say like even some of the guys here when we run into stuff like this it's always like what's the intelligent thing to do well that's just to control the controllables because you can get so wrapped up in the logic piece but then yep. really you're just becoming like a victim right and and no coach is going to like, you're not, you're guaranteed to not get a shot if you're a victim. Right. So it's like, no worse. Yep. It's crazy. That is so crazy to hear from you. Okay. So last couple of questions here, ask everyone these questions, nothing you've done. Jerseys on the wall are gone. Everything. Matt Nichols is there's no such thing. Nothing that you've done created is left behind, but you get to leave three things behind to your kids. And you know, whether they're lessons, um, different sort of you know testimonies or or just what would those three things be principles whatever whatever they are to to guide your children to give these these three things to them uh to help them be the best that they can be in their life oh my gosh man that's tough but um i mean number one that sticks out for me is is integrity i mean do everything um you know with other people in mind um you know don't lie, cheat, steal, um, you know, everything you do is do it with integrity and things will work out for you. 
um yeah i feel like i try to do that my entire life i guess i mean you guys have heard that there's a lot of times where i felt like kind of back against the wall type of thing it would have been easy to kind of go in some different directions and for me it was just you know keep keep putting my faith in in people keep putting faith in myself and um you know have integrity with everything that you do and you know i that was always my kind of my guiding point and something that you know i hope to instill in them um second is actually a quote from jason garrett i don't know where he got it from or if it was his but it's stuck with me man i say it to my kids all the time is competing everything you do every time you do it and you know for me that was like you know whether it's you know the you know a non-competitive thing like you know watching film or whatever it's like i'm gonna like somewhere Bo Levi Mitchell is watching film too. And I'm going to watch more than him. Like no matter what it was, it was just like, I'm competing in everything I do every time I do it. And, um, you know, I try and instill that in them, you know, whether it's, you know, with homework, um, you know, with relationships, whatever it is, like there's a version of, you know, competing in everything. And for me, um, you know, that's always been a big part of my life. Um, I tried, you know, we had, I mean, at Eastern, we put in like a ping pong table and, you know, we had rankings on, on the board in there and it like, it was just impossible to, to crack the top two. We had two incredible ping pong players and man, it's like, I'm still going in there and I'm competing. And so like, it's just no matter what you're doing, you know, I want them to compete and, and want to be the best. Um, and then, I mean, lastly, man, just, you know, we've talked about it a lot is, is control what you can control. I mean, I, I hope that they, really grasp that um because it is super difficult to to actually do that i mean it's super easy to to play victim especially in this day and age man where you have 10 different outlets that you can you know whine to and people will feed into it and agree with you or enable you and you know so just making sure that um you know as long as you're competing you have integrity and you know, you're working hard for what you want, you know, things are going to happen that don't seem right, or, um, you know, don't seem logical, other people are going to make decisions that affect you, all you can do is control what you can control, and ultimately, I think, you know, when you do that, we end up either in good situations or where you're supposed to be, and so for me, it's like, yeah, man, maybe, you know, when, if, you know, USC had offered me out of high school, I go there, and I get lost, like a lot of these guys, and never see the field, like I went where I was supposed to go. I went to Eastern Washington where I got to play for four years and learn from coach Baldwin, who's, you know, I played for a long time and he's the best football mind I've ever been around. And so like, you know, he took me from a super raw kind of athlete to being a really, really good quarterback. And, you know, mm-hmm. if I didn't end up somewhere with him, you know, you know, who knows, like I, I might not ever make it past my freshman year. And so by doing those things, you end up in good situations and you end up kind of where you're supposed to be. And so, um, you know, those are the biggest things for me, man. Integrity, compete, and control what you can control. Yeah. So the name of the podcast, obviously, is the Make It Happen podcast. What does it mean to make it happen to you? Yeah, exactly that, man. Like I, I said, from five years old, I had tunnel vision on what I wanted. And everything I did was in pursuit of that. And I knew that I needed to have a high GPA in high school to get to college. I went and got a high, high GPA. I knew I had to get a certain number on my SATs. I went and got that number. Like I, um, knew that I had to work harder than these other couple of freshmen that came with me, you know, came in the same year as me. I worked harder and I got in the field and they didn't like just, the ability to make it happen to me is being willing to outwork everyone around you and perform when you need to perform. You know, another one of my favorite sayings from one of my coaches in, in Winnipeg, man, was, you know, play your best when your best is needed. And, you know, there's a lot of times where that means for the team. There's a lot of times where that means for yourself. That means a lot of times where maybe it's not even on the field. It's just, you know, when you need to perform, like you need to be able to, you know, succeed in that situation, whatever it is. And a lot of that's, you know, good decision-making that leads up to that point preparation. And, you know, for me, it was always my competence level. Um, 
I was never the fastest guy, never the strongest arm. I was never the best athlete. There's plenty of guys that I played with that should have been playing instead of me, but they didn't put the work in that I did. They didn't know where the ball was going 90% of the time before the ball was even snapped. Like, but I did, like, I looked like I had a really fast process because I knew what our concept was. I already knew what the defense was in. I know against this defense, this is the best throw over here, but I'm still going to go through my progression, even though I'm going through it quick because I already know where the ball is going because of my film study. And so, you know, for me, that all boils down to controlling what you can control. And for me, that was like all the information's at, at your disposable, you know, disposal now. I mean, it was, it used to be harder to have all the information that you can have now, but now like there's no excuse to, to be prepared. And so um, that was always number one for me was I need to somehow make up for the lack of, you know, it's not like I wasn't a good athlete or whatever, but at the, you know, these college and professional levels, like world-class athletes and guys with way stronger arms, that could throw it 80 yards. And, you know, I tapped out at, you know, 62 with the wind and Cheney. And so, you know, for me was how do I take what I have and be successful? And that's outworking everyone. And that's being more competent than everyone. There you have it, Matt Nichols, my guy, absolute gems. If you enjoyed this, please share this around with someone that needs to hear it. Rate, review, it helps grow the show and helps me get more incredible guests like Matt on the show. Hope you guys have an incredible week. If you wanna see more of this stuff, go check out my Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. I got all the sorts of content coming out, different stuff for you guys. I really appreciate all of you. Again, go make it happen, out.